Hello everyone, welcome to The Cool Dime, where we talk about the dumbest and coolest stuff in competitive gaming. I am Frank Fields. And I am Taylor Cock. I would say you could maybe loosely describe Taylor and I as esports journalists, or at some point in our career we've been esports journalists. Today, we we kind of wanted to talk about something that is very related to us, and it's probably the least close to game design aligned topic that we've talked about so far. But we wanted to talk about it because of events that happened uh, a few weeks ago at Worlds. We want to talk about gaming and esports, specifically journalism. Yeah, and it's it's been a, a topic on a lot of people's minds lately, as Frank said, because of uh, an incident after Immortals lost at Worlds. They didn't want to come out and talk to journalists. So it it, it in which I see both sides of. I I think that. Um, they have every right to decline interviews after such a disappointing and crushing loss, uh, getting knocked out of the group stage. But I also, I want to be able to create the best content we can. I want other journalists and writers involved in the scene to be able to create the best content they can. And they can't do that often without getting interviews. Um, So this definitely sparked a huge conversation about like the role of journalism in esports and what, what, the future of that may be depending on exactly how things move forward in the future. And we're not going to spend the whole episode talking about this topic, but kind of my two cents on it were the goal of a journalist is to get the most compelling content possible. And yes, sometimes that means intentionally not getting optimal content just because people will want to know what a certain player or team says, regardless of if they're going to give good answers or not. But in this particular case, and I found this a lot of ways with loser interviews, if you're interviewing the loser of a match or the loser of a group stage and they don't want to be there, their answers are going to be like one to five words. You're not going to get much out of them. The content's not going to be good. The interview's not going to be good. And there's not going to be a lot that you can do with the interview anyway. Um, And so in that regard, I say, why bother? Of course, I do see the other side of the argument that says these people need to be professional and give better interviews. But... At the same time, like Cody's son is 19. He actually yeah. is a kid. So it's a little hard to, to say, you know, Kobe Bryant, people like to say, oh, well, Kobe Bryant was a professional. Kobe Bryant was 18 when he got into the NBA. He was not giving those kinds of interviews when he first got into the league, and he definitely wasn't giving no. good ones after he lost. So people need to keep that in mind, too, that even veteran professional athletes still give bad interviews. Um, and even veterans who like how often do you get like a good interview from a super bowl loser it's really bad um and this is i felt was the kind of the same way where i think people need to keep it in perspective yes these people are professional but even professional sports athletes give bad interviews after losses or they're marshawn lynch and they give the best interview of all time i'm here so i won't get fined i'm here so i won't get fined I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm just 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 here so I won't get fined. So you won't get fined. Just here so I won't get fined. Does it bother you with all the attention and they just want you to talk when you really don't? I'm just here so I won't get fined. I pretty much know why you won't talk. Is it because you don't trust anyone or they can misconstrue your words? Just so I won't get fined, boss. (laughs) Are you still about that action, boss? Just here so I won't get fined. I appreciate you, man. I'll talk to you later, my brother. God bless you, man. Yes, Lord. You stay blessed. You still here because what? 
so I won't get fined. Exactly. That's that's maybe maybe the single greatest. And the single, as somebody from Oakland, I can say this: that is the most Oakland interview I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, another oh, good so one good. is the the Rashid Wallace. Uh, yes. Uh, it was a good game. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard, my man. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. God bless and good night. To me, that's my thing. My favorite that and the that I'm just here so I won't get fined. It's just great because obviously professional athletes they have to get interviewed and sometimes they just don't care and are just like, yeah, <laughs> here's your interview. I'm out. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's also the famous Allen Iverson. If, if a coach say I miss practice and y'all hear it, then that's that. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year, but if if somebody say he doesn't come to practice, it can be one practice. Out of all the practices this year, that's enough. If I can't practice, I can't practice, man. I'm hurt, I'm hurt. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. Not a game. Not, a, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that, man? We're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not, I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you come in the arena and you see me play, you see me play, don't you? You see me give everything I got, right? But we're talking about practice right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're, we're getting... We're getting so far off topic. I know. But okay. But, uh... I guess like the the main thing we wanted to talk about today was kind of esports journalism in general, where we've been, where we came from, where things are now, and then either what we think we're lacking or what are some opportunities that people can do in esports. Because mm-hmm. um, Taylor and I have both some some similarities in where we want to see esports go, but also a lot of different ideas. Um, yeah, for sure. But where, where I wanted to start, um, and I think, Taylor, you were agreeing that I got in at least a little bit before you as far yes. as the, the gaming journalism. But when I entered, um, it was around 2004, 2005, when Dota was just starting to break out. Um, so it was like kind of, kind of the smaller game. But the big game at the time was Counter-Strike, and the secondary game at the time was Warcraft 3. And back then, there were only a few different community sites that, that really did gaming there was sk gaming which was run by carmack and then run by thorin for a while um that's where carmack really got his start there was mym um which was run by a lot of different people at the time but um, part of it was run by someone named philip ramusen who now um, works on the north which is a a counter-strike organization um and a few other people that are now either no longer in esports or you know have kind of moved on to other things um, and then Gosu Gamers and Gotfrag. Those were like kind of the four major outlets. Gotfrag mainly focused on Counter-Strike, but they did everything. Gosu Gamers mainly focused on RTS games, but they also did everything. And then MYM and SK Gaming were kind of, back then, we want to be, you know, the ESPN of esports or whatnot. 
Um, and and it's, it's worth noting that a lot of it's worth noting that a lot of these sites were very community driven. Um, these weren't what we would consider to be like professional sites now. In the fact that they they I mean they had staff writers, but they weren't. This wasn't full time staff. Most writers of them were can, not paid, and even yeah. the ones that were paid were paid. Like when I was the editor of NYM, I was only getting paid like two hundred euros a month, so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a lot. Yeah, so th- these were for the love of it, full-time like gigs that people did with very little to add no pay at all. Yeah. Um, so for the first three this... years, I got no pay working that job. <laughs> Man, can you imagine writing that much and not getting paid now? Frank, we've it, become sellouts. It seems unfathomable. But yeah, 10 years ago, I was doing journalism, not quite full-time, but pretty close and not getting paid. So passion project esports. Yeah, which is which like that's what again we've talked about this on previous shows is kind of really what makes esports special is the fact that it's so much of it is based around these passion projects and these guys this this original wave of esports writers and journalists this was before my time um, but these guys were were in it for the love of it and, and it was it's really cool go back to some of those articles go back to some of those websites you can read some really amazing stuff um, but it, it was you got to keep in mind that it was coming from volunteers primarily yeah um and i think that this is where the next site that came in that really kind of set the table for what esports journalism now which was team liquid yes team liquid was a community site that primarily focused on brood war but when starcraft 2 came out that's when they really started to broaden their horizons and i actually want to name um a few people that were really revolutionary wax angel kuang wee woo mm-hmm who at the time was the editor-in-chief of Team Liquid, um, didn't get paid much, if, if at all, um, but he helped create a bunch of writers, Fion, Menacer, uh, Monk, yep. a lot of really beloved community writers that some of them are still on the scene, some of them will work for devs, um, but he was really involved in kind of cultivating a community of passionate writers that were not writers by trade at the time. Some of them eventually did become writers, but were just mostly high school kids that really, really liked Brood War. And that kind of created this amazing, amazing coverage site where you would have these really super in-depth 10,000 or 20,000 word articles (laughs) and these enormous, like, broad content things where they would cover an entire event and no one was getting paid to do it. And I think that that site is still special to a lot of people simply because of the amount of passion that was behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was definitely, as somebody who was outside of the esports space at the time, or at least professionally, I was not in esports. Um, this watching Team Liquid grow and change into what it eventually became was really my window into the this world, this this fascinating space of esports. And I a lot of those articles, as somebody who wasn't really into esports games or like was had a at a distance from them, um, because I was a games journalist at the time, games journalist proper, like reviewing games, um, it was definitely it was the kind of thing that they these guys, their passion and the level of commitment that they had to it really was one of the reasons that I was sold on moving into esports and trying to follow it in a in a way that could eventually lead to it being a professional career which it has become now huzzah we did it we did it Um, we made it (laughs) we sold out uh but yeah team liquid is i think at least in the west probably the most influential website uh in esports i would say yeah it is probably the single most influential website 
for all of esports for esports history in the West. It's now it's kind of taken a little bit of a backseat just because there's been this enormous pro- proliferation of content, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but still, there is an enormous community that beloves Team Liquid, and I think that's a major reason why Team Liquid is still now one of the most beloved brands in esports, despite the fact that the community site has kind of changed over time to where we are now in esports. Um, there's one article I would like to shout out in particular if you guys want to see the kind of example of content that Team Liquid actually did at the time. There is an article about Savior, who many people will not know who ah, Savior yes. is. He is probably the greatest Brood War player that has ever played the game, and he was banned for match fixing in 2007 or 2008, I believe, but was unquestionably the best player in the world for about two years. He is one of the the five Bonjois of Brood War, as they call him. And there is a amazing two-part article about statistics and reasons showing how great Savior truly was, and to this day, I think it is probably the best esports article I have ever read. Um, it's I'm, pretty great. I'm going to link it in the in the description of the video, but you can probably just Google Team Liquid Savior article and find it pretty quickly. If you are someone that likes the history of esports and likes kind of seeing the, the grassroots beginnings of esports, that is one article you should definitely check out. Yeah, and it really, again, I mean, the articles like that really paved the way for what was about to come up like you know in the early 2010s then you start seeing this explosion of new websites starting to pop up um sort of the first wave of what i want to call like the professional esports sites Mm -hmm. um people started realizing that this whole esports thing wasn't going to go away anytime soon yeah so Uh, i introed kind of the old ones why don't you intro the ones that was kind of like the next wave that came through so really the next wave, I, I, I kind of consider like that the next wave started with GG Chronicle, um, which was uh, now Overwatch caster, League of Legends caster, et cetera, et cetera. It was Monte Cristo's site um, that was sort of took the concept of uh, what Team Liquid was doing and really put it more in a directioned path uh, to feature writing and helping out uh, writers and getting people to a degree where they could write about it from an actual like feature focused professional thing um Mm -hmm. it it, it was sort of like one of the first sites to really go into what we now know as esports writing and esports journalism uh then you see on gamers pop up which was uh game spots uh what GameSpot's esports website yeah uh, and i believe largely by travis gafford and hunter lee and hunter lee and then thorin was there for a while and slasher you know all these big names. Um, on gamers was the, I, I like really the first big experiment, the one that was like, okay, we're gonna do this full on from a professional standpoint. Uh, we're backed by a major uh, corporation, CBSI, uh, and we're gonna make sure that this thing goes well. Obviously, it didn't go well, but yeah, um, but I actually still signi- had a few pieces up there, but significant uh, because it was the first time that a major corporation took a gamble on journalism specifically by that point you had um iem and the ign pro league were already right. things that existed so there were corporations that were interested in esports but this was the first time that there was really a corporation interested in esports journalism specifically and it was mm-hmm. actually a huge surprise that they were that interested in doing it because 
a lot of people said, you know, this doesn't really seem profitable or sustainable. Of course, those people ended up unfortunately being right at the time. <laughs> at the um, time, yeah. But it was still really significant because it kind of gave people the confidence, and from then, more people started getting involved in the scene. Yeah, like the the score launched an esports site, uh, Daily Dot now, which is now Dot Esports. Uh, you know, all of these uh, this sort of second wave of esports sites started popping up. A lot of them started to focus a little bit more on breaking news, a little bit more on, uh, you know, sort of quick hits, which we'll get to in a bit. But like, is is the beginnings of esports journalism, not just esports writing, but esports journalism proper? Yeah, breaking this is news and all people like William Turton and Richard yep. Lewis and Jacob Wolf really started making their names as people who are getting scoops around this time. Um, and obviously, you know, a guy Richard Lewis is a name that has been around for a long time. Um, there were esports journalists doing breaking news before this. Uh, I do want to make that clear. Yeah, uh, Richard but Lewis this was, was the one of them time. before that. Richard but, yeah. Lewis is one of them. Yeah. Uh, but I, 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 this was the first time that we really saw it coming from a publication rather than individuals. Right. Um, which is an interesting. It was an interesting take, and it's weird that we're talking about this like it was ancient history, but this was really like five years ago. Yeah, this is like only four, yeah, really four years ago, like season three so Worlds, I remember a lot of this stuff was going on. So, yeah, it, it is interesting that, like, you know, we the history of esports is not set in stone as of yet, um, but this was the, the first the first wave of big bets on esports, uh, yeah. esports journalism and writing. And then I think it kind of took another turn with Yahoo Esports, ESPN Esports. Right. Um, and I think once Yahoo and ESPN got involved, then it was like everyone jump. It was like Grim Patron, man. It was just like yeah. everyone get in here. <laughs> once everyone before that kind of like had the we want to be the ESPN of esports, like sites like ESFI Worlds, was, which is now defunct, and a lot of other ones all like we wanted to be the ESPN of esports. And it was like, ESPN came and it's like, no, I think we want to be the ESPN of esports. We quite um, literally are ESPN. We the are ESPN. Yeah. So um, after that, full, th- full disclosure. Full disclosure. I did work at Yahoo, and I did have articles on on gamers. And do I have a byline? No, I don't have a byline on the score, but I almost forgot. I have um, not had a byline yeah. on any of those sites actually. I don't well, know. Lottie friggin' not. Yeah, but it's okay. Um, yeah, and then from there, it, it's just been like there was gamers pvp live i, I can't right. even name all the sites that then came after that right and, and i believe the hadn't gamer gamers had kind of been around for a minute before that a little bit before then yeah wait yeah then they um, merged with dot esports at some point right and, and and you know there's a, it, the it's all kind of murky just because there are so many websites out there now um i mean there's stuff like double tap now which is uh Oracle's Elixir. Oracle's Elixir, which is more of an analyst site. Rift Herald. Rift Herald. Rift Herald, yeah, that's Fox Media. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, so the Vox Media esports sites, which are Rift Herald, uh, Heroes Never Die, and... There's one other one that uh, I can't remember now. The the Courier. The Courier, Um, yes. The Dota website, um, which, that's an interesting thing. They're a spinoff of Polygon. Um, so again, game journalism site, but also Vox Media uh, getting getting in on that as well. So yeah, it, there's a lot of esports sites floating around right now. Um, but these, yeah, this last wave is really the ma- 
signifying the major players getting involved. So yeah, Yahoo and ESPN. And this also um, helped solidify the difference between just games journalism and then yes. esports journalism specifically, because you suddenly had all of these games journalism sites realizing that their coverage of esports, like you had sites like Kotaku um, and Polygon covering esports, like kind of in the periphery, but they realize yeah. there is this enormous audience that wants more specific, more regular esports content. And so suddenly you had these sites realizing that they could create new brands that were focused on esports specifically. Right. And Kotaku's, we, we forgot to mention that one, but yeah, Kotaku has Compete Now, which yeah. is their take on an esports site. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's right now is sort of I, I, what I think the wave is where we're at right now is the publications figuring out what's working um, because they've thrown the money, they've thrown their hats in the ring. It doesn't seem like there's too many esports sites popping up right now, at least not major ones. Yeah, not. Uh, in but a the while. ones that are, the ones that are, the ones that do exist are sort of figuring out exactly how they want to operate in this space, um, which is consequently kind of what the crux of this episode what we wanted to talk about. We yeah, that about kind future. of goes into into what we want to talk about next where um right now it seems like do you do you want to talk about like the buckets first that you kind of like yeah, define sure. so well pre-show um yeah you go ahead and explain this is your baby yeah this, yeah so right now they're the way that i see it and the way that i perceive the audience of esports um which i think is something that i is going to be kind of core to the rest of the discussion today um is the sort of what I call the three buckets of the three audience buckets in esports. Uh, there's the super hardcore audience, which these are the guys that watch every single region, every single game, or at least you know every single game in their specific region. Um, but they know everything that's going on in the scene. They read all the hardcore analysis stuff. They watch all the videos. These are the guys that are going to be going to read everything, right? Um, they're the most hardcore of the hardcore. There's the super casual, which they only really care about the game that they play. They maybe will watch a game every week, but for the most part, they don't really know too much about what's going on. Mostly they're just playing games. Yeah, they're just playing games. They like the games themselves. Like a guy will be playing League of Legends. He might, you know, he probably knows who TSM and CLG are, but he's not going to go watch the LCS every week. He might not be able to name every single team in the LCS, or he might not have heard of a single team in the LMS. Right, exactly. So it... it this is the super casual guy. And then the third, for me, is the entire audience that's in the middle of those two. Which, as so, you, we've talked about off-camera, is probably the most underexposed audience to esports exactly. content right now. Yeah, so these guys are the ones that maybe, like, kind of follow whatever team. You know, there might this this person, she might be a CLG fan. Yeah. So she might be into watching CLG's matches, but nobody else's. Uh, or they kind of don't really care too much about competitive games. You know, they'll be like, oh, I know who Faker is, and I know who, you know, Uzi is, but I, I, I'm i not watching every single one of their games, yeah. but they're interested. They know what's just, going on. I'll just give you a little into, into my mindset, kind of, and I fall into this now, where it's like, I'll watch most NALCS games, at least the good ones. Yeah. I have this weird passion for the LMS, so I watch some LMS <laughs> games, and I care about their teams. Um, and I watch I watch some EU LCS. I don't really watch much Chana, and I watch a really good hype Korean match, but I don't yeah. follow that closely anymore. 
I, I but I still care about what's going on. I still want to know what's going on. I still want to know what the breakout players are in in the league. Yeah. But exactly. I'm not. I want to know the big stories. But I'm not eager to seek out games because I just I have other things going on in my life. I just got married. I just moved. I'm trying to like make a living that doesn't include just watching League of Legends. And another example, <laughs> like I'll watch all the Dota majors. I'll watch most of the CS majors. I'll watch all the Smash majors. But I won't watch Smash every week, or I won't watch right. CS every week. I might. I sometimes watch E League if I see it that it's on. Or I might watch Beyond the Summit if I see that it's on. Or I might watch but Home Story Cup. Watch... But I won't actively seek out that stuff. Right, exactly. So that's sort of what that middle audience is. And for me, um, I think that this is actually the biggest audience in esports. I would say just the... on a pure numbers game, it has to be. It has to be, right? Because if you think about the super hardcore people, you're going to get... If you put up a super in-depth analysis article, which as two people who have written and have read a lot of those in our time. Yeah. Frank and I are into, but they're only going to get so many viewers and so many, so many eyeballs on them. So, you know, you can guarantee uh, a certain like 30 to a hundred thousand views, which is a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, isn't going to keep a website afloat. Yeah. Um, for the super casual people, you're going to get them to come in and say, you say, Oh, there's a new champion coming out in League of Legends. Here's what they do. You're going to get a lot of views on that. Yes. Um, but the trick is being able to appeal to that middle audience. Because that middle audience is the one is, in terms of sheer numbers, has to be the biggest audience. It has to be. Which leads and to... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You can finish your thought. It, 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 it has to be the biggest audience. And there's no... As far as I can tell, we're at, we as esports content creators are kind of doing a pretty bad job appealing to them. Yeah, I would um, say which we'll get into more. The example that I that it was my baby was the one that I don't I I don't even like taking credit for anymore because it's just like dark times. But a good <laughs> example of this is power rankings. It actually yeah. does fall into the into that middle group because you are giving a large overview of every single of of the relevant teams of the teams that you think people might actually care about you are diving a little bit deeper into those teams but not too deep that you're losing the casual like the more casual audience so you're basically capturing the essence of people who want to know what's going on but don't necessarily have the time or the or want to spend the effort to and you're giving them a very easy way to catch up and digest content that's you know, it's very wide and it's a little bit deep, but it's not too deep and it's not too narrow. So you're mm-hmm. you're finally actually getting something that that hits um, that, and ob- that's why almost every single site does power rankings now because it hits that middle gap and it's a very easily produced kind of content series. You know, basically you can boil it down even further and say just pl- top player listicles or listicle articles in general about mm-hmm. about players or teams because you cover a very wide a very wide breadth of content without having to go super deep into it and losing people right and if, if, i'm gonna i will take credit for this one because i this was my baby well for the record frank and i were both at wall esports for a couple years or frank was there for a lot longer than i was i was there for a couple years um but my baby there was what we call trending pieces which is uh, a specific champion take 
how pro players play that champion and how the idea was you could take those tips and bring them into your own gaming or your own play. So like say Tristano, I think was the last one that I wrote uh, for Lolly Sports. I think it was my last ever Lolly Sports article. Uh, but they, you know, I talked to pro players and say, hey, how do you, how does Tristana fit into this current meta? And ideally, if I positioned it correctly, players could take that, solo queue players could take that into their own amateur games and, and use that information. Yeah. Uh, so it sort of hit, it hits both ends. You know, it, it, it allows people who are fans of, you know, Sneaky or whoever uh, to read about what Sneaky's thoughts are, but it also gives people tips for their own game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- these are examples of stuff that I, I think hit that middle ground really well. Yeah. Um, and just to shout out some other content creators for this, well, really one in particular, a lot of Thorin's articles really hit this, which is one of the reasons, not just for his personality, though that is a reason why he's popular, the types of content that he produces really hit that middle ground. All of his talk yeah, shows, absolutely. SI, um, what's the one, The Overview? Is that his Overwatch show? That I sounds can't... right. I think so. Um, <laughs> the stuff he does with Monte Cristo. The stuff he does with Monty, that is 100% that middle audience because they talk about a wide range of topics and they go a little bit deep into them, but not too deep. And that really is what the, not the super casual audience, but I'll call it like the the passionate casual. Is, is that a good nickname for the middle ground? Yeah, they really, sure. I like the passionate casual. Yeah, they, I like that. they care about esports a lot, but they don't spend a lot of time on it either because they can't or because they want to spend it on other things. And right. and having something broken down in like a two or in four hours, like I don't care for four hour content, but a lot of people clearly <laughs> do because they watch it. Um, that really takes care of their needs to really want to be caught up and feel like they're still involved in the scene despite the fact they don't have time to be as involved as they otherwise would. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's definitely the sort of thing where you want to be able to educate your audience but also keep them entertained. And I, th- I think that's stuff that, does, that Thorin does really super, super well. Yeah, and to just give some examples of the other buckets, um, the... Fion has done both sides of the coin where he went super in-depth into a piece like he did some really cool ones on CJ and just Blaze and Frost but the posts he does now are primarily these kind of human interest pieces to, to really get people to care about a certain player that's kind of his beat at this point and that's kind of aimed at the super casual audience. Um, a yeah, lot sort of, pe- of that, that border in between the middle and the super casual I think. Yeah, because a, a lot of people who are super hardcore they already know that stuff for the most part mm-hmm. so they're not really going to read about it again um in, unless it's like very inside baseball um and but the people who are just kind of like on the periphery and like oh i know esports is really cool i heard i heard really awesome things about this faker guy let me read more about him we'll read an yeah. article that something that fion would do these days for espn um and then the the kind of other side of the coin is the the Jacob Wolf specialty scoops where, um, and he's done some, he's not the only one, but he's kind of made his name in the space for getting these scoops. That's also, that's for the very, very casual because basically you're getting people with the headlines and then kind of can dive a little deeper. And then the middle ground and the super hardcore people don't really care about the headline. They want to know more about the details of the scoop. Um, And so that's why his pieces are really successful as well. And then you have like the, the the wildly hardcore people, like uh, the two people that I have had the great fortune of working with is uh, Kelsey Moser and Emily Rand, who are uh, both 
very, very good at writing these super crazy in-depth and anal- analytical pieces. Some of it's even um, too deep for me, man. I can't read Emily's jungle <laughs> pathing pieces. I love her to oh, death, God, and yeah, she's a great writer, but that is not for me. It's 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 baffling sometimes, but the, the people that care about that stuff love that stuff, and mm-hmm. I and I think that is a and I, I want to make this clear before we sort of move on to the future of esports journalism and all that sort of stuff, but. I don't. I don't mean to denigrate anyone who's writing these super casual or super hardcore stuff. I, no, I think it's that great. that stuff is really, really important for the scene. I think it has to be there, uh, and I think it, it. They, the people that do it, do it really amazingly well. I mean, obviously, I've been a Fion fan for years now, um, having both, you know, worked alongside him and read him from afar. And Kelsey and Emily uh, are both brilliant, brilliant analysts uh and are very good at, at writing that sort of stuff yeah. um and so yeah I, I and i think that they're all of them are incredibly vital i would actually go and, so far as to say that writers like kelsey and emily and kelsey and emily specifically are actually currently vital to the esports scene simply because they are great writers who are extremely passionate and they'll probably be doing this forever and they cover that super in-depth stuff that very few people have the access or expertise to write from and i mean i i can't write the stuff they write maybe at some point in the past i would have been able to but there's no way i can write this now they they've basically found their niche by being specialists who travel to events who can simultaneously have access to interview players and have the game knowledge and passion to really go deep into into articles, which is why I'm so happy I keep have I've had them on podcast numerous times because they are absolutely great for that type of thing. Yeah, I think they're both they're both brilliant, and I obviously Jacob is Jacob Wolf and his scoops are vital. Thorne is vital to the scene. Um, all these guys, like the, these folks, I should say, are are very important, and they fill their their particular niches really well. Yeah. Um, it's so a lot, I, I wish there was a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of this uh, show is kind of focused on the, because this is really, we were talking about the, the sites, but um, obviously that's on, not the only branch, so to speak, that's doing writing about esports. You have developers mm-hmm. that have their own content teams, which Taylor and I are familiar with. Um, oh, yes. There are tournament organizers, like third-party tournament organizers that do both video and editorial content. Um and then um, there's kind of the, I would guess called the media companies like One Up, which is um, Damian Estrada's company, that yes. kind of s- straddle the line where they do work for a lot of different people, and that work can be a lot of things. There's there's kind of the the pregame slash hype pieces where you're hyping a player or a matchup, and that's the type of thing that Blizzard or Riot or or another developer will do, but sometimes other people do. There's kind of the the post-game discussion pieces where you immediately have interviews with players or or you might have uh, like an analysis of the match. Um, but then there's also, as we were talking about, there's the super deep pieces that Kelsey and Emily do. There's like the scoops and rumor pieces that people like Jacob do. And then there's the human interest features and stuff that Fion does. Um, and then the stuff that we haven't talked about is this kind of stuff like Liquid Rising or... Um, the, mm-hmm. all the, the team documentaries and behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on. Um, so the, yeah. those and, are basically the kind of content that people have done so far. Right, and like I, for obviously for post-game discussion stuff, I just I know Travis will yell at me if I don't 
talk, I don't shout him out. Travis Gafford is sort of like the yeah. He is kind of the I don't the maybe preeminent yeah. interviewer. That's basically he maybe not built his career on that, but he became famous because of him always being able to do these interviews with players. Um, either immediately before, but usually immediately after both winners and sometimes losers and kind of getting their thoughts on the match, but then also really trying to put a human touch on the player and really trying to get at their personality. And he was always able to interview people and, and do that very well. And still does to this day, despite him mm-hmm. being totally freelance now. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was. it's always been fascinating watching Travis's career uh grow from where he where he was to now as sort of like the yeah he's he's the the main interview guy in in league of legends these days so yeah yeah and not just for players not just players uh developers as well he's developed (laughs) developed he's created a really good uh with a lot of different developers uh you know riot and blizzard in particular he's got very good relationships with and so he is able to get interviews that a lot of people wouldn't otherwise get um, yeah. from the from these developers so so i yeah, know you go. are the most passionate you are i'm more passionate about the past and where we've been you are more passionate <laughs> about the future and where we're going so i'd like to hear your thoughts about what we're what we're doing well right now but what are opportunities that we could do in the future either that you think we're missing or that you think that maybe just no one no one has thought of or we haven't done well enough yet sure yeah i mean uh, obviously we've shouted out a lot of people that i think are doing really great jobs now um but again the reason we brought up those those three buckets of audiences is because i don't think anyone's really catering to that middle audience that well Uh, i mean there are a few instances here and there but uh i think that people need to figure out how to get at that middle audience a little bit better and the the scary part is I don't have necessarily a specific answer as to how to do that. Uh, I think there we've seen a few examples of stuff that does work for that, as we said, uh, you know, top player listicles and you know power rankings and all that kind of stuff. And then some of Thorne's content has been really good in that regard as well. But in the future, we need to figure out different ways to cover stuff that doesn't alienate too many people or brings in uh, an audience that can manage or an audience that is big enough to support you know esports writing and like the the interesting thing that's that i've noticed over the past few years is there's been among the esports scene that exists now there's been a bit of a backlash against what I perceive as people doing that middle thing. Um, the, it is seen as, I don't want to say too casual, but it's seen as sort of a threat to, it's, it's seen as a threat to the serious coverage. I actually do think that. that I would say that people have been somewhat hostile to it. A lot of times when someone aims at the middle, it'll touch a little bit of the hardcore, but then all the hardcore people, and really I'm talking about, audiences like reddit will say yeah who cares we already know this stuff why are you writing this stupid casual stuff and a lot of those people don't really understand that that isn't for them it's for people who maybe used to be them but aren't anymore or people or people who are just learning or people who are on their way into maybe becoming that but they're not that or maybe they'll never be that and i think that's where it's run into difficulties because the people who are seeing or 
seeing or have seen that kind of content are not the people that that content is for. Right, exactly. And the way that you build an audience that is bigger than the one we currently have, because from most, of the, I, don't, I don't want to make a definitive statement here, but for the for most of the metrics that I have seen over the course of me covering esports for the last five years, um, we were growing, 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 and then we hit a plateau. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you don't cross a certain plateau with the with the type of content that we're getting. And I think this uh, that's in terms of viewership. Uh, you know, yeah, a viewership plateau. And I, I think that finding that middle audience and finding how to cater to them is how we're going to break through that plateau um, and get to the point where we can actually start building a wide audience in the same way that video games or sports or movies or whatever. Um, build that audience in the same way and it's worth uh is it's currently yelling at us yeah Hi, Sorry, cat. Cat. Uh, it's worth noting that articles like power rankings were like getting 100 to sometimes 300 or 400,000 views per article um which is a lot more than a lot of the super in-depth ones would get to no matter how well written they were same thing with the human interest piece there were some that you know were very very highly viewed but for the most part unless it was a player that people already cared a bunch about it the viewership was not as high so and i could you say the same thing about content like thorns yes reflections will get viewed by the people who really like that player but stuff like si is always going to be viewed more because it has a much more broad appeal Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it, it's a matter, and once you get that broad appeal, and once you gain the, once you bring the people in, that's when you can start retaining them. Because that's really the key, right? Is is getting them in and retaining them. Because you can, anyone can land, not anyone, but you can land a hit on Reddit one time that gets, you know, three hundred thousand views. Yeah. Wait, but that one hit every couple months, or one hit every week, or one hit every month, not sustainable. Uh, it's it will not sustain a full website it just won't and that sucks but as like, on gamers discovered that's a yeah. large part of it um and as yahoo discovered and as all all these other websites that have shut down in in, in years past have discovered that you can't sustain it with one big hit and sorry really i don't, I don't mean to we're... pick on on gamers that was just because no. they were famous the famous example of getting a lot of their traffic from reddit that's why i bring right. them up exactly and the, the, I, I mean, on gamers is just it's it, unfortunately as much as I respect uh, everyone that worked there, it, it it was it it's the classic example of something that that wasn't just wasn't sustainable in esports, and that's okay. I mean, it, I mean it's not okay for those people, but you know what I mean. Like it it it, it, it we learned from as these a things. Historical lesson. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so the way forward for me, the way that I see it is to make esports more fun. Make esports fun. Make again. esports fun, or make esports content fun. Con- content fun, because esports esports is already fun, guys. Yeah, esports. esports there, even though I don't play, out. I don't play league that much, but it's still a joy to scream on my monitor during Worlds. Misfits, right. no. Yeah, they, they did their best. God yeah. bless them. Yeah. God, God bless Europe. Uh, but at the end of the day. What drew me into esports, and I think what drew everybody into esports, uh, is the fact that it, esports is fun. Yeah, and video games are fun. Everyone is passionate about video games. Yeah, and this sort of 
so the way that I see it going forward is to make sure that it stays fun the deeper you get into it, especially with esports coverage. So, so like appealing, to, like that's why I think uh, esports express the sort of esports onion esex. Yes, uh, uh, and we can shout so out popular. creator of that hot bid, um, who yeah. now works for I believe Beyond the Summit. Brilliant, brilliant mm-hmm. website. And like that stuff is sadly not as prevalent as it should be yes and, absolutely. I, and I, don't, I don't i don't mean just like parody stuff that that you know viciously takes down people in a satirical manner but i also mean stuff that is just catered to just designed to be fun not everything has to be super analytical not everything has to be just like a rewritten press release for a newser not everything has to be scoops but you can just write an article that is the writer just having a good time and being fun and, you know, engaging with the community in a way that is not above them. Um, yeah. And it is like, Hey, here's a funny meme that I threw out. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the times when people write those sorts of articles, they get uh, some backlash. And so this uh, actually gets into the difficulty and this is kind of a spot where we're kind of at as far as the esports bubble in that the people that esports is most profitable for are game developers and game developers are extremely limited in the types of content they can run because they can yeah. basically run hype pieces and pregame pieces and they can ca- ca- ugh, excuse me cater to the casual audience and that's about it when you try to do really in-depth pieces, it doesn't work. When they try to run really like irreverent funny pieces, it often doesn't work, as I'm sure Taylor can attest to in a minute. <laughs> um, yeah. And when they try, and they can't run scoops on their own game because they're often the ones that are getting scooped. So it's right. extremely, they, they, they already know all those. So they already know that stuff, and you can't. So it's extremely limited in the types of content what you can do. Um, and just esports journalism sites and really journalism sites across the board right now are having monetary issues. So that kind of creates this issue where the people who can write this content either feel like they can't or, or you know, there's, you, there's a kind of dichotomy there where the people you want to can't and the people who yeah. can't are the ones that are actually able to. Yeah, and, and I think it, this comes to a point that I, w- I was kind of hesitant to bring up, but we talked about it a little bit before the show. Uh, was something that has, for better or for worse, kind of defined a lot of my career. Uh, was an instance while I was working at Wall Esports, and this it is the reason we bring this up is because uh, it, it is a great example of the the companies that can write the weird stuff are oftentimes the ones that it is perceived shouldn't. Right. Um. So. I was working at Wally Sports. Uh, this was in 2000, I want to say 14 or 15. 2014, I think, I think yeah. Might have been 15. Um, and I wrote an article. Uh, it was a intentionally joke article that was literally pitched as a stupid idea. Um, I, I told my boss at the time, hey, this is a really dumb idea. I, I pitched it kind of half as a joke never thinking he would approve it. There's an article about it, the character Zillion, who is a floating old man time wizard. He's really weird. He's got a big beard. Whatever. Mm-hmm. He's got a big clock behind him. And my pitch was, what if I opened up an article with the line, look at this fucking guy? 
And then wrote an article. I can't believe they let me do this. Uh, and then wrote an entire article, uh, like just as as a joke. I, I can't forget. I'm trying to remember the exact title of the article, but I think it was something along the lines. I of remember like, it. It was how to get rich quick and improve your love life in five easy steps. With Zillion. With Zillion. <laughs> yeah. And so I wrote five steps of how Zillion is a good example for you know people who want to get rich quick. It basically was about life. how dumb of a champion Zillion. This is old Zillion, by the way, not Zoom Zillion. Yeah. But it was basically about like. The whole joke was Zillion is such a stupid, designed, awful champion that was, like, tier one in the meta at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, he was just overpowered for no reason. Like, he hadn't gotten any changes or anything. Like, all of a sudden, he was, everyone, it's like everyone at once remembered that he existed. People realized that rezzing people every 20 seconds was really good. Yes. That's that's really what happened. happened. (laughs) Uh, But... So it, it was a joke article. It was intentionally a joke article, and it was really clear that it was a joke article. I wasn't writing it as an analytical piece. I wasn't writing it as, uh, you know, some sort of in-depth anything. I was just like, this about, is a stupid I'm idea. I'm going to defend it so you don't have to defend yourself. Yeah, sure. But Go basi- for it. basically, it was written as like a parody joke article, and people objected to it a lot. But people didn't object to it necessarily because of the article itself. They objected to it because it was Riot Games that was putting it out. Right, and exactly. So the problem... Riot, the, the, so the problem is... Yeah, right. The problem is that Riot was the only one with the resources and money to just try this. You know what I mean? Po- like, at that time, in 2014, there weren't really a whole lot of sites that were catering to the casual audience that actually had a writing team. And I actually think that's probably still true. Uh, I, I I would say that the like the Rift Herald, uh, the the Polygon sites, the they, Polygon sites could probably yeah yeah ads. you're right you're right um, and and they have writing staffs I mean not full time but um, so they're 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 a rare instance but um, so anyway there, there was a huge backlash to that article within the community I mean people you know prominent esports figures were tweeting like this was a terrible idea this isn't funny. Blah blah blah. Um, Reddit had a field day with it. Twitter had a field day with it. To this day, people don't like me because of that article. I'm fine with it. Like I thought it was funny at the time. I still I still think it's kind of I funny. I still think like, it's no funny. Idea. I don't care. Um, but I, opening opening a line while at Riot Games with "Look at this fucking guy." I, I'm still I'm a little proud that I managed to get that through the editing process. Um, but it, it just goes to show that by the way i just want to say this is a guy who wrote how to who once did a gdc panel about how to slip dick jokes <laughs> into copy or at least that was the title of it right yeah yeah so, uh, sneaking dick jokes into copy yeah, and that was when i was a freelance games journalist i i um for the record my last name is cock I, how do i not slip jo- dick jokes into copy all the time the e um, is for esports E is for esports uh but the so my entire career has been writing these sort of jokey kind of silly things. People got mad at me for writing an article about um, when Mata played Leona last year at Worlds and lost with it, lost with her. And I'm a huge fan of Leona. It's my favorite champion in League of Legends. Um, and so I wrote an article of like, hey, Mata, next time you play Leona, maybe you win with it, um, was kind of the crux of the article. Uh, and people were like, why, you know, this is dumb. Why would he write that? I was like, I don't know, because I thought it was funny. It's, it's, it was a funny idea, and I pitched it, and they're like, yeah, go for it, dude, whatever. Let's see what happens. Um, and I, what I want to, and 
I don't want, I don't mean to make this entire podcast about myself, but what, what I really, what I want to get at is I feel like in order to cater to that middle audience, writers need to feel more free to experiment, free yeah. to try different types of content, free to try different things uh, within the esports space and not just fall into this sort of, you know, analytical feature, human interest, interview sort of dichotomy that we've got going on right now. Um, Basically, I think the, need to be, the, the, breadth of, the breadth of content types is not there's more opportunities that haven't been explored. And a large reason why they haven't been explored is because those who have done it have been unsuccessful. But there's a lot of ways that maybe they have been successful. Maybe Taylor just isn't funny. I like Taylor. Yeah, I think Taylor's funny. Just the... But maybe Taylor's not funny. Maybe if there yeah, was maybe, some... I suck. maybe if there was someone that really was really good at parody made a really good parody article maybe may, what if esex wrote a good parody about worlds like hey maybe mm-hmm. that is a thing but other other than esex no one has ever tried a parody site before maybe there should yeah. be someone else who tries to do that or or even like if there's one writer at a, at a publication that wants to do something fun i mean like it's okay to have different voices at a publication yeah. um i mean i think actually i think espn does this pretty well um, and they definitely of course, ESPN, have... ESPN understands that because they're you know they're fucking ESPN. Um, but but yeah, like... they are great at creating individual brands for their content creators, both video and editorial. Like, exactly. Bill so... Simmons is now famous because of that. Right, and I mean, like, look at the reason SportsCenter is so popular and has been for decades is because it's kind of silly. It's irreverent. It, they are willing to take risks and do stupid crap constantly like basically every episode of that show there's something stupid that happens on it um and i and i don't mean to turn this into the same old same old like we esports needs to be more like sports journalism kind of argument i think that esports should learn from a lot of different things esports should learn from uh game journalism esports should learn from sports journalism esports should learn from movie writing even uh, political journalism in some respects. even political journalism yeah absolutely and 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 just basically just remember remember that esports can still be fun and we can still fight for that and still do the stupid stuff. We're going to get backlash for it, but like that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to, you know, break past this plateau that we're at and get burst this bubble and get out to the mainstream is reminding everyone that esports isn't a scary place and shouldn't be. It should be a place where people are welcome and can have fun and, uh, if they want to get super hardcore in depth into it, that's great too. But that, at the end of the day, we just have to remember that it, it's something that needs to be inclusive and and good times for everybody, and not yeah. just for the people who are you know seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen years in. Yeah, I would say that the the biggest takeaway for me of this entire like recent, I mean, games games journalists. I don't know if we're we're kind of ridiculous people in general. We like to talk about our own industry a lot on Twitter. There was like a, not a giant Twitter fight, but a giant Twitter discussion about this a few weeks ago. But to me, my takeaway from this is like, people need to be open to new content types and new ideas. And there are going to be a lot of failures for every single very successful piece of content that gets made. And I think that the biggest the biggest advent to creativity is allowing a little bit of room for failure, at least initially. You're not going to 
not every piece of content you're going to do is going to be a power rankings or an SI or uh, reflections or, or whatever series. Not everything is going to be successful as someone else's magnum opus. Um, there's going to be a lot of room for experimentation and I think that that's what we need to let flourish in order to kind of advance this industry because we've all, we've named the, you know those five or six content types we've already tapped those like there's not a whole lot of innovation left there from now we need to get to something new and I think in order for something new there's gonna have to be a lot of experimentation and a lot of patience on on the behalf of editors on behalf of, of you know sales teams and and investors um, so people who are who really care about advancing this industry not everything isn't going to have an immediate return but I think that if we want this industry to stay around and I think that we all do there's got to be something new that comes up so mm-hmm. innovation is good I guess is what my bottom line is <laughs> that seems to be the theme of just about every episode yeah I mean huh go nuts man yeah let's have fun let's have fun out there guys um, but yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, let's just yeah, keep an open mind. All right, guys. Don't don't shit on everyone else's taste. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. I think you know that that is basically the rule of life and humanity. Just don't be a dick, man. Just don't be a dick. It's not that hard. Like being a dick takes so much more energy than just being nice. It does. Just smile and you know have fun in life. It's good. Yeah. Um, but let us know what you guys think about esports journalism in general, about Immortals not giving interviews, about all the different esports sites out there. If you would like to see ESEX revived or anything else that we talked about this week, we would love to talk more about it. Um, you can follow the podcast on The Cooldown on Twitter and find it at soundcloud.com slash The Cooldown. Uh, I'm Frank Fields. You can find me at FFMiri on Twitter. I am Taylor Cock, and you can find me at Taylor Cock on Twitter. It's been another great episode of The Cooldown where we talk about the dumbest and coolest stuff in competitive gaming. Um, Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.